and welcome. It's This Is Going Well, I Think, with David Cooper, and I'm David Cooper. It's This Is Going Well, I Think, the show where no one's listening, no one cares, and where every episode's the last episode. So let's make this one a good one. Today, my guest, Nathan Radke, who co-hosts the Uncover Up Conspiracy podcast. Nathan's also a professor of cultural history at Humber College. And we're going to talk the strange tale of a folk hero, at least amongst UFO idiots, named Bill Cooper. Yeah, there's no relation. He wrote a book called Behold a Pale Horse, and he's the one who said there's something going on with the American government. They're trying to cover up something with alien abduction stories in the 60s and 70s. Of course, what he thought they were covering up is totally bonkers. So let's bring on Nathan to hear what's up with that. It's been a while. Yeah, it's been, I don't know, almost a year, nine months. Yeah. So does this mean you're back on the radio? No. This show is my attempt at being an independent creator. Oh, okay. So it's a podcast then? Yes, you've heard of them. Yeah, I'm familiar with them vaguely. It's like the radio, but you get to decide when things play. And I can say, fuck. Fuck yeah. This is going great, Nathan. I think this is an excellent start. I think you should blame the whole first, uh, the beginning of this on deep fakes and AI. Exactly. That makes me worry. I don't want to talk about the conflict in the Middle East so much, but I do worry. Modern warfare, you know, government can just create whatever they want, send it out, and then rally up public opinion for whatever reason. I mean, they've always wanted to be able to do that. And now the technology exists that people can do that pretty cheaply. I was thinking about this. I was talking about this with Dan Riskin. Sort of like the golden age of truth in media. Not that a government couldn't have faked a photograph or even a video, but let's say when people started taking pictures and then started capturing video, to fake something like that would require, you know, a whole state's intelligence agency. Yeah. You know, so from, I don't know, 50s, 60s, the advent of television to around maybe the internet. (laughs) Or, Or maybe even the first little bit of the internet. Yeah. Because we we didn't quite have, like, Photoshop wasn't quite there yet where you could fake something and it wouldn't provide any traces. It wouldn't provide any evidence that it was faked. Exactly. We're going to move into a time, like, you're right, there was like a golden age where there was photographs and video, but there wasn't the the ability to fake them yet. And now we're past that. And now who the hell knows what's going to happen? I would call it the golden age of potential truth in media. It's not that a government or whatever couldn't fake it, but... um, And then we sort of lost it for photographs because of Photoshop, but we still sort of had it for video and now we just can't trust anything. But it's not like it's this awful decline. This is how it was before photographs. So print media, a government could just print whatever they want, force a printing house, a publishing house to print whatever they want, force a newspaper to print whatever they want. And they could create propaganda like we can today with deep fakes. And so it makes you think, is history at all true? Yeah, we just had a brief shining moment where it's like, wait, I think we can verify things. It's like, oh, no, it's gone. And it was in our lifetime. Yeah, we got we got to see it. Yeah. And so now everything feels so 
disconcerting. Like, I can't trust anything that Russia says about the Ukraine war. Like, you can't, but maybe you can't trust the good guys either, because how would you know? Like, if you're living in Russia, I mean, a lot of Russians hate their own state, but a lot of Americans hate their own state. But I'm sure there are Russians who just believe whatever uh, state media or media outlets that are affiliated with the state. It's a little blurry over there. And then increasingly, you have non-state actors who can just post something on TikTok. Yep. And then that'll get to millions of people in a way that was impossible before. Now, just some rando can start shaping the zeitgeist just by putting out some nonsense. Like they can take something from a video game, kind of looks real. They post it. It's seen millions of times. I see stuff on TikTok where people are making wild claims. Sometimes they're true. Sometimes they're not. But all I can think of is what are their sources? Someone's just saying this is how reality works. This is how this science thing works. This is how health works. This is how eating works. Whatever the topic is. And there's no sources cited. And these people get millions of views and shared around and taken as the truth. And maybe they are. Maybe they're not. I don't know. Yeah, it's kind of also the end of expertise. Because what what takes place of expertise is just fame. Yeah. And so... and. And people get tons of views, not by saying things that are true, because things that are true are nuanced and complicated and kind of frustrating. Instead, you, you, you put out just sort of absolute hot take nonsense, and that's what gets passed on, because it's nice and simple and clear and shocking. And so that's what survives in the new ecosystem we've made. What's often true is we can't know, we can't be sure, the evidence suggests, but we can't say it with complete certainty, you know, and that's kind of boring. Instead, it's here's a true wild claim that gets you fired up and that you want to believe because it confirms whatever you think is true already. Yeah. And then because it confirms that you want to pass it on to other people. So it spreads. And if it doesn't confirm, if, if you disagree with it, if, if it makes you angry, you also pass it on because you say, hey, can you believe this bullshit? Exactly. Were people brainwashed when print was the main form of of media and now we're going back to that potentially but you and i in our lifetimes live through this like quote-unquote golden age that I, I just made up that phrase i don't know what people call it there has to be someone smart who's come up with this idea surely somebody must have thought of this well i mean the problem is with every media revolution we've had like the printing press it, it allows us to get tons of more information out which is great but like information comes with its ugly siblings misinformation and disinformation and they've got an advantage because they tend to be more interesting and simpler and kind of catchier. Yeah. Like the, it was only a couple of decades after the printing press came out that we had our first media driven mass panic. Actually, you and I talked about this on the radio years ago about how some astronomer or astrologer said, Hey, I, I think that there's going to be a flood in 1524 because all of the planets are going to line up in Aquarius or Pisces or whichever nonsense it was. And then those pamphlets got out and they spread all over Europe and people lost their minds. Nowadays, people are saying, thanks, Obama. But back then, they would have said, thanks, Gutenberg. Is that kind of, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I just, like, for example, World War II, very fuzzy photographs, very low-quality video. Most of the population was getting their info from the written, from the press, the print, printed press. From journalists who were on the ground and, like, writing stuff down and then saying it in words. And the narrative is the West did everything right, the Nazis did everything wrong, and while, yes, the Nazis were deeply evil... And as we have facts coming to light, but, you know, America, what, carpet bomb Dresden? Like, there was awful things done that people didn't really hear. So the, all they thought was, okay, my country is the heroes here. And the Soviets, I'm sure, put out equivalent propaganda. And it's just sort of, that's the narrative. That's the accepted truth. And I'm not saying that the Allies shouldn't have destroyed Germany. I'm a Jew. I'm not a fan of Nazis. Sure, that's fair. I'm just saying, like, who knows? It was just as bad then as it is potentially now with deepfakes. 
Well, I mean, there's no question about the evil of the Nazis, but the the problem is that we also have to look at some of the the horrors that that our side has done. Like war is grim when soldiers go into a place, they do bad things usually. They got guns, they have ultimate authority to use the guns however they want, they can do what they want, and sometimes they do. Yeah, and then there's the the mass examples, uh, Hiroshima, Nagasaki, like destructions of entire cities. And yeah, so it, it, and that again, that doesn't give us into this like false equivalence. It's like, oh, both sides are equally bad. It's like, no, we can still point out the individual horrors that are done by ideologies, but we can't then kind of just close ourselves off to the fact that it's like, oh man, we have done some nonsense too. Yeah. I mean, what was printed, what I was taught was that the bombing of those two cities, the nuclear bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki were were what needed to happen. It was what was right ultimately. But nowadays when warfare occurs in a city, when there's civilian death, uh, even if the the side that is defending themselves or whatever it kills civilians, that's objectively wrong. No matter what your military goal is, no matter what you're doing, even if you're defending your own country, like it doesn't matter. If you kill civilians, it's wrong. And that just like wasn't the narrative as far as I'm my understanding when, at least to Americans and, and the West, when Japan was bombed like that. And I assume that's because it was what was printed about it. I mean, I've heard arguments, of course, saying that, no, here's why Hiroshima was necessary, because otherwise you would have had to invade mainland Japan and it would have resulted in this many deaths. And you can kind of do this sort of calculus. Sure. I would argue to that. But couldn't you have dropped the bomb offshore somewhere and just told the Japanese government, hey, watch this. (laughs) This is going to happen to you tomorrow unless you surrender. Yeah, exactly. And even if you do say, no, they had it had to be a a city in order to make the, the full point. To then destroy a second city like less than a week later, that just seems like a bit of a flex rather than something that was necessary. Also, it was a different kind of bomb. They really wanted to try it out. Oh, they did two different kinds? Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't know that. What is it, Big Boy and Little Horn? What are the two names? of the? It was Fat Man and Little Boy. Fat Man and Little Boy, yeah. I didn't realize it was two type of nukes. Yeah, two slightly different kinds. Fantastic. And now they got all kinds of kinds. Oh, yeah. We're, we're really good at it. We're really smart. Humans are extremely intelligent. So... Taking a step back, I'm glad to have you on the show. I had your, I don't know, podcasting partner, friend, co-conspirator, if you will, someone who's interested in conspiracies, uh, Leon, and I was worried you'd get jealous. Oh, no, the other way around, Lee would have gotten jealous. Good, then I did it right. He's the emotional one, and I'm the, the cold calculating one. That's why we work so well. I bring up Lee because we're talking about people believing what they want to believe, what's fantastical, and not what's true. When I brought Lee on the show a couple weeks ago, we talked about those completely bonkers alien reveals to the Mexican government. But at the same time that was happening, NASA got the most compelling evidence that life actually exists. There was some molecule found on a distant planet, and that molecule only exists on Earth as a byproduct of life. But yeah, we're presented with very real evidence, but it's kind of messy. We're not sure if this molecule means there's life on this distant planet. Or you believe the fantastical stuff, which is bodies, really of ancient people, they were mummies, revealed as aliens on television. What are you going to believe? Some people would rather believe the wild stuff instead of the true stuff. Anyway, that is my whole segue, because we actually are going to talk about aliens, but this time, the sinister things behind abductions. And it all starts with a gentleman named Bill Cooper. Who is he? All right, so here's how we can get into Cooper. For the last year... On the uncover-up, Lee and I have been diving into the entire UFO situation. I mean, it's sort of blown up. We've seen the the congressional hearings, and there's been all this footage released. And it seems like there's these really shocking claims that are being made. 
And so we do what we always do. We go back and we're like, okay, where where's the beginning of this? And the story of UFOs and flying saucers, it's it's amazing, but it's super frustrating. I was trying to figure out what it's like. It's a bad analogy. It's like trying to play Frisbee with smoke rings. It, it looks like there's something there. When you try to grab it, it kind of dissipates. It, it's it's super frustrating. But what's amazing is the story itself back in the 1950s, where you start really start to see this thing pick up in pop culture and the government's paying attention to flying saucers. And there was this movement called the contactees. And these were people that claimed that they had been visited by flying saucer pilots from Venus who would take them on flying saucer rides. They always looked like humans. They sometimes had blonde hair and blue eyes, which should make us a little bit nervous. But these aliens were always here to tell us that they were, they were trying to warn us about our own destruction, about how we were going too far with nuclear weapons and, and all this other stuff. And so clearly that was sort of like wish wish fulfillment. People were terrified about the 1950s Cold War and nuclear destruction and started telling this myth, this story, this secular version of this angelic being that comes down to rescue us. And that's where we start off with aliens in the 50s is occasionally you'll get like an alien invasion, but for the most part, they are wiser than us and they're here to save us. At some point between then and now, something went really sinister with the alien stories that we tell. Butt probing. Yeah, the butt probing. The butt probing is an excellent example of that. And so that was the kind of question that Lee and I were asking. It's like, but what of the butt probing? There's nothing like that in the 50s. And yet you get to like the 90s, it's all butt probing all the time. So I guess I'm thinking of Bill Cooper, but I'm also thinking of you guys. Assuming these alien being sightings and abductions aren't true or haven't met their burden of proof to prove that they are true. So you, we can't buy them. I guess the question is, why were so many people erroneously and with sincere belief that it was true? Why were so many people erroneously saying that this happened to them and they saw these beings? And then why are these reports getting more and more sinister? Like, is there something behind it? Is the government drugging them and, and, and faking it? Or, you know, do they have is there someone behind the scene here causing there to be more of these false reports? I don't know. But is this the kind of question that you're thinking? This is the sort of thing that we're asking. In the 1950s, we have all these pleasant, non-butt-related visitations <laughs> claimed. And, and the people who claimed those, the contactees, they were, for the most part, just scammers. They didn't believe their own stories. And we know this from reading personal correspondence and things like that, or they come out later and say, ah, we were just trying to make a buck off these books. But in the 60s, we moved from being contacted to being abducted. Now the alien story changes. You have people like Betty and Barney Hill, the famous example. They're driving at night, their car stalls, they get out of the car. They have weird missing time, and then all of a sudden they're in a different place, and then they get hip, hip, hypnosis, and they uncover this all these memories. So things start to get a bit darker, but it's the 70s where this alien story goes from being kind of fun and pleasant to being like real twisted. And there's a bunch of reasons for that. And part is that our culture just started to become more cynical and more, I guess, more, more cautious about things like government. I mean, think about what happened in the 70s. Think about the stuff that was... That, that was revealed about the American government. Golden age of press, the golden age of press. The press started reporting that the government was fucked and people started believing it. Absolutely. We had had the, I mean, and the government had been fucked for some time. What, since the year 5000 BCE? What, what are we talking here? Basically, basically as soon as we had government, but in particular the American government, which of course is the home to so many conspiracy theories in the 50s and 60s, we had like MK Ultra mind experiments and COINTELPRO, like massive uh, overreach in in surveillance projects 
and they were doing experimentation on San Francisco in projects like Sea Spray. And basically, the American government in the 50s and 60s were fucking around. In the 70s, they were finding out <laughs> because of good journalism. Like the 70s were an amazing time for journalism. And so things like Watergate and MKUltra and COINTELPRO were sort of busted wide open. And so now the American people were confronting the fact that like, wow, this 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 government that we were trusting to protect us against enemies from the outside, maybe they were our enemy on the inside the whole time. It's like the calls are coming, coming from, from the inside house. the house. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's the 1970s. That's a 1970s moment. Calls are coming from inside the house. And in 1967, how did he know that? He's got a great memory. Now I looked it up before the show. In 1967, the Freedom of Information Act passes by what I can imagine is a government official who is the equivalent of a sadomasochist. So the government has to, now do they always, but in general, the government has to give information about what it's doing to any reporter that asks. Yeah, and that's part of the reason why we start to see all of these scandals sort of show up in the 1970s. And at the same time that's going out, the tiniest little weirdest thing happens that turns out to have this massive impact is that a couple cows die. (laughs) And then the Scottish people start doing crop circles. That's probably unrelated, but okay, a couple cows die. A couple cows die in the American like Southwest. And because flying saucers are kind of in the news, people say, hey, maybe this is flying saucers. But then that story becomes part of the of the UFO mythology and everything, everything that people are scared of at that moment, they're scared of the government because of all of the true stories that have come out. So people are starting to think, say things like, wait, I saw some black helicopters around where that, where that cow died. Maybe this is part of some weird government experiment, or maybe the government's working with the aliens that why are they mutilating these cows? Like what's happening? And this story from the fifties of the pleasant people from Venus trying to warn us about what was happening by the seventies, No, they're all in on it. This is part of some kind of big sinister story and it's all being held back from us and like something messed up is going on. So who is Bill Cooper and where does he come into all this? Well, Bill Cooper is big into aliens. He's reading a lot of these 1950s and 1960s authors. And again, some of those guys were scammers. Some of them were just trying to get books out and, and, you know, sell a bunch of units. But Cooper believes it all. And so he writes to this guy, Gray Barker. Gray Barker was like the captain of the 1950s UFO scammers. He was taking pictures of like pie plates and saying they were flying saucers. He was doing it all. And Barker starts to get letters in the early 80s from this guy, Bill Cooper, who's like, yeah, I've read all your stuff. I believe it all. And Barker's a bit worried because Barker doesn't believe it all. It's his stuff and he doesn't believe it. But Cooper's bought it all. All of these, these, these alien stories and then the cattle mutilation stuff and human experimentation and and deep underground bases that the aliens are concealing themselves in, Cooper believes all of it. And he sees it as part of this massive Manichaean battle. The the aliens, they're on the side of the demons. They're on the side of Satan. And everything that happens, everything that unfolds is part of that one story. And the government, if they're with the aliens, they're also on the side of the Satanists. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, we've gotten very bleak at this point. We're, we're a long distance away from Hey, do you want to go for a flying saucer ride? Is this just weird Christian mythology having to do with good versus evil, Satan versus the Lord, and somehow working the American government and aliens into it too? That is that is a lot of it. I mean, a lot of it is that we want the world to be in this sort of simple black and white, dualistic, good and evil kind of system, uh, because then we can kind of try to understand things that happen 
we don't, we don't like randomness. We don't like just chaos. We want everything to hap- that happens to be under the control of somebody. But because so many terrible things happen, there must be a powerful agent that is also evil. Because surely a powerful agent that was good wouldn't allow all of these awful things to go on. And this is the, the fundamental idea behind this. I, again, I call it Manichaeism, this idea that everything in the world is this battle between good and evil. And it's very tempting. It's a very seductive viewpoint. It's nice and crystal clear, even though, of course, we know that real life doesn't have those nice, clean distinctions between good and evil, that there's an awful lot of gray in between the dark and the light. I mean, I, I don't think there are good and bad people. There's just people, right, who do good things and bad things. And you could have a wicked, you know, dictator who's genocidal, but he could be a good husband. You could have someone who does charity every day and secretly they're a serial killer. You, you can't know. Yeah, but we want to know because it makes the world make sense. We want to make it make sense. And the more complicated things get, and of course, with our media landscape, things are always getting more and more complicated, more elaborate. The more we want to return to something simple, something clean, even if it's not true, even if it's wildly inaccurate. And so that's part of, I think, what's happening to Cooper here. He wants to know. He knows that things are messed up. He can feel that things seem like like they're a bit of a crooked game. And this story that he's come across about the evil aliens, that's a story that allows him to then understand everything that he sees around him. And he puts everything, all of history, all of society, all of culture, he puts that into that one story. Is that the story of his book or is there more to it? Well, then it gets kind of complicated. So so Cooper starts to, he's got a, like a radio show. He's doing some shortwave radio stuff. He's, he's putting it old timey pamphlets, like the old zines that we used to photocopy and mail to people. And he's convinced to put together a book. And so he does uh, Behold a Pale Horse. And the book is extraordinary because it starts off with him explaining all of this evil alien stuff, setting it up. It's like, no, there's evil aliens. They're working with the government. This group MJ-12 is like this top level government secret stuff. And the aliens are experimenting on us. And the government knows about it. And the cattle mutilations and secret bases on moon and all of this. And then about halfway through the book, and this rarely happens when somebody writes a book, he changes his mind. <laughs> I love it. I mean, yes, people do that over the course of a career, maybe their second book. Sure. I love how he didn't even say, oh, the first part of the book is a wash. Here I am changing my mind as I continue to write this. I mean, he's already written the first part. Might as well leave it in. And then he makes this extraordinary move. And the move is, wait a second. The conspiracy isn't that the government's working with the aliens and all that stuff I just said. All that stuff you just said about the alien experimentation, the cattle mutilation and the and the MJ-12, that's the lie the government wants us to believe because the secret is that the government's trying to give us this fake enemy in the form of aliens so that the government can then take over and, and, and bring in the New World Order and the Illuminati. Oh boy, there it goes. Always with the Illuminati. <laughs> Always with the Illuminati. Yep, that's as you peel off the conspiracies, you end up there. I feel like that's always... How it goes, unfortunately. Yeah, and, and it gets more unfortunate than that, because as part of the evidence for this Illuminati move, Cooper, in his book, reprints a bunch of the protocols of the elders of Zion. Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. Although, to his credit, question mark, he says that it's not the Jewish people that are doing it, and that when you read the protocols of the elders of Zion, you should always cross out Jewish person and put in Illuminati. Oh, okay. So the everyday Jewish person, I'm not in on it. 
Exactly. Yeah. Well, that sucks. I want the stock tips. I want to take the elevator to the center of the earth. I want to wear the cool robes. A flying saucer rise. Yeah, that's where the action is. I want to know why there's a pyramid on the dollar bill. I want to know these things and I don't even get to join the club. Pyramid with an eyeball, making it even stranger. Whose eyeball? That's what I want to know. Yeah. Whose eyeball is that? That's the question. Uh, and the answer is, surprisingly, Beyonce. Oh, well, I'm more of a Rihanna guy, but hey, I guess we'll give it to her this time. Okay, so that's wild. So what makes him change his mind as he just goes through it and as he tries to compile it, research into it, he decides this is too much, this is unbelievable. Why isn't the government doing a better job covering it up? That's because they want us to believe. Is that kind of his thought process? That's sort of what happens to him. And, and part of that is because... Like he's he's not a scammer. He's a believer. He believes in the things that he's saying. And so when he, he believes the the alien story, there's a bunch of it that doesn't seem to check out. Not only that, he becomes aware that there's a bunch of disinformation actors in the UFO community, people who are deliberately spreading disinformation. And the truth of it is, in the 1980s, the American Air Force did have agents who were working in the UFO community to spread disinformation. And a lot of stories about underground bases and alien experimentation. You can trace those stories back to Air Force agents in UFO communities spreading those stories. The commonly accepted narrative there is that they did do this. And the reason they did it was to cover up or discredit anyone discovering experimental aircraft, especially around Area 51, where they were testing out these new planes, new plane technologies, new weapons technologies. That's the commonly accepted narrative. Do you buy that narrative? Like when you, if you're presented with compelling evidence that an Air Force agent in the 70s and 80s spread disinformation in the UFO community, was it to cover up that stuff? Does the evidence suggest that's why they did it? Or do we not know? That's part of it. It's certainly part of it because we know some of the people, like uh, there was a guy, Paul Benowitz. He was an engineer um, who had accidentally come, like stumbled across some American tech when he was playing around with his radios. And we know from looking at the, the Air Force files that Benowitz was targeted because they were concerned about him spreading around the stuff that he had uncovered. And so you can discredit him by feeding him a bunch of alien stuff. So we do know that is that is part of it. Okay. The idea is they don't want the Soviets knowing what they're doing with airplane technology, rocket technology, weapons technology. Exactly. I mean, we can go all the way back to World War II, even before the UFO craze. The American Air Force was testing a brand new and extremely important fighter plane, the XP-59, which was their first jet fighter. Now, it turned out not to be a very good plane, but it was important because it was their first jet. But they were asking, how can we test this thing without somebody seeing it in the sky? Especially because the area that they had to test, there was a lot of other pilots training for World War II. And they would notice some weird plane without a propeller with smoke coming out of the back. And stories are going to get around. And then the next thing you know... Loose lips, sink ships, you're going to get saboteurs, you're going to get spies showing up to sabotage this thing. Interesting. They couldn't figure out how to hide it while they flew it. And then one uh, test pilot, Jack Woolhams, came up with an idea. He said, if you're flying this thing, this new jet fighter, and there's another pilot in the area trying to get a look at it, don't try to get away from him. Go right up beside him. Fly right beside him. Let him get a good, long look at you. Wave at him. But... When you're flying this new experimental plane, there's one piece of equipment that you absolutely have to have. And that piece of equipment is you have to wear a gorilla suit. <laughs> did they do that? They did. Wow. And so the idea is whoever makes this report 
They think they either, if they're a rational person, they probably think they hallucinated it because it can't be real. And if it's an irrational person, well, I don't even know. There's a couple scenarios in which, but none of them are believable. Well, I mean, either either way, it works great because either you've got a guy who thinks, I'm not going to tell anybody about this because I don't want people to think I've gone mad and get grounded. Or if he does tell people about it, people will think he's mad and they will ground him. It worked really well. Same thing happened to Benowitz in the 70s and 80s. And if Russians that are working in the military feeding secrets back to the Soviets uh, and they hear a report like that because they're, uh, you know, in deep enough to get access to a report, they're not going to think anything of it. Yeah. They're like, what? There's a gorilla flying planes. That's probably not true. That's the information. If I were a spy, I wouldn't even feed back to my handler. You, You hide the truth in ridiculousness. Yep. And so that's that's part of it. But there's another disturbing aspect of it because I've also come across old CIA files back in the early days of the flying saucer movement where they're saying, okay, this is a problem. Not that they were not they were worried about alien attacks, but that they thought that the Soviets were behind all the flying saucer stuff. They thought it was a psychological warfare operation. And the CIA was very interested in two things. How can we stop the Soviets from having this sort of psychological warfare operation with flying saucers? And how could we do one of our own? Like, this is a very powerful new idea that's emerging in culture. How could we use it to manipulate minds? Yeah. I mean, Russian interference with uh, the two elections ago and even this current election, even though Biden got elected in the end in the U.S., uh, is a real thing. Yeah. So that's another potential reason for why these rumors got ugly, not just that the Americans were leaking them to cover up their Air Force programs and weapons programs, but also uh, done by foreign state actors. Is that what you're trying to say? It's a possibility. Uh-huh. What we do know for sure is that they is that the CIA and likely the KGB, because they were kind of mirror versions of each other, that the CIA was very interested in how the story of flying saucers could be used to manipulate populations. I see. So they were experimenting on American people, making them believe wild things, seeing how well it worked, refining the process so then they could do it in a foreign country. Yeah, that, again, that is entirely possible and based on the information that we have, maybe even probable. Okay, so these are all plausible reasons for why American officials, for which we do have evidence, a little bit of evidence, we do spread rumors like that. Yeah, and so then going back to Cooper, Cooper is a believer, he's not a scammer, so he starts to see some discrepancies in the UFO community and he starts to put things together and he's like, wait a second, this flying saucer stuff, that's, that's the lie I'm being sold. They want me to think that they're covering up flying saucers. Like, it gets very Inception. Okay, and what does he think? I mean, what does anyone ever think the Illuminati's goal is? But what does he think this cabal's goal is? Ultimately, uh, reduction of the Earth's population. Okay, because the Earth can't sustain a lot of people? Exactly. The Earth can't sustain a lot of people. And so he thinks ultimately what they're going to try to do, the Illuminati, is eliminate billions and billions of humans through everything from... Uh, vaccine programs to artificially introducing diseases like HIV. And and, and there's a good example, actually. He, he believes that HIV was deliberately uh, engineered in order to reduce the population. Now, what he doesn't realize and never would realize, because of course, Cooper would get gunned down by the cops in 2001, is that the conspiracy theory that HIV was created by the American government is itself a conspiracy that was created by the KGB. Yeah. In something called Operation Infection. The KGB and many intelligence agencies have been for years using false conspiracy theories to manipulate people. 
And that's an excellent example. Just so dissent in, in your enemy and that would, you know, have potential effects on their economy, on, you know, their society, on their ability to be, re- their readiness military-wise. Like, is that the, th- why would an enemy interfere at such a low level trying to stir dissent within a country just to destabilize the country? Destabilize the country to make people think that democracy can't possibly work, to make people more cynical. And we think that cynicism protects us. I mean, we're pretty cynical people ourselves. And we do that in part to like protect ourselves from from how harsh things actually are. But the danger in being over cynical, it's like the danger in your it's like the difference between having an immune system and having an allergic reaction. You want an immune system to protect you from, you know, dangerous substances. But if your immune system starts to overreact to everything, then you could get killed by a peanut. And that's sort of what they're trying to do. They're trying to change your immune system into an allergic reaction. Interesting. And then you're just a totally ineffectual citizen. You know, it's funny. Cynicism's healthy, but only so much of it. Like, I accept basic premises of living here in the U.S. that may or may not be rooted in sinister, evil conspiracy plots that I may know, I may not know, that I may have heard and dismissed. But in order to, like, transact as a normal, healthy, well-adjusted human and have a community of healthy people that can work and that you love, you have to accept certain things that might not be true. Like, people say the American government was in on 9-11. My real response to that is, I don't know. I don't think I'll ever know. And I'm just going to accept the common narrative because it, it kind of works. And that's the that's sort of the social contract here in the West. Uh, and if new evidence comes to light that they did it, you know, I'll believe it then if it's compelling evidence. I have a healthy amount of cynicism, but I don't apply it to everything all the time. There's some basic premises that I accept just to live a normal life that I know may be wrong. Is that healthy? I, I don't know. I mean, it's as healthy as we get. Fair enough. And again, you go back to that, you want an immune system. You don't want a hyperactive immune system. You want your car alarm to go off when somebody smashes a window. You don't want your car alarm to go off because somebody walks by. Even though that person walking by may be a criminal, you know, but maybe maybe they are, maybe they aren't. And so the car starts freaking out. Another good example is JFK. Like, I, I don't believe what is told about JFK, but I don't know what happened. And so I'm just comfortable leaving it at that. You know, I'm not going to go through all these wild conspiracies. I'm sure some of the wild conspiracies that I've heard that I immediately dismiss uh, may be close to the truth. I don't know. I don't think I'm going to get to know. And that's fine with me. I mean, that's a super healthy attitude. Just that one simple thing that you said there. I don't know. Yeah. If we're more willing to admit that to ourselves, that's something that protects us. Cynicism with an ability to say, I don't know. (laughs) Exactly. I I don't know this. I don't have enough information. I mean, again, in the modern age where we're constantly communicating at, at light speed with each other, with sometimes with thousands or millions of people, it's this idea that you have to immediately have a take. But maybe we don't. Maybe maybe the ice cold take is in some ways much preferred preferable to the to the red hot take. Maybe if we, we dial back on all of the noise that's constantly being thrown around, then we'll be able to separate the signal from the noise. We'll be able to more clearly and carefully see the information and not get distracted by the misinformation and the disinformation. And just like that, this show, after hours and hours and hours of episodes, finally has crescendoed to a point that I like. Something with meaning, something with substance. Thank you, Nathan. Yeah, saying I don't know. To get back to the JFK example, I kind of start in the same place as the not-so-bizarro, Illuminati-believing, alien-believing JFK was replaced by replicants. I don't know, people have these lizard people. 
I kind of start in the same place. When I evaluate what's presented and what the facts are, at least the facts are as I know them to be, I wasn't there and I'm a little young, but it's fishy. It smells off. You know, the way it happened, the way uh, Lee Harvey Oswald was then shot, like it doesn't, doesn't add up. I'm with you, crazy conspiracy theory person. At that point, I say, I don't know. And I call it a day. Yeah. And, and you're right. There are a lot of hella sketchy things about that assassination. Of course, everything from the trajectories of the bullets to uh, the, the tidy way in which Lee Harvey Oswald is is killed by Ruby and then Ruby dies eventually of cancer. Like there are a lot of unsatisfying bits of that story. And that's the story of a beloved president, beloved by some, who gets shot in public. And we want an explanation for that. We want to know what happened. Otherwise, we're out here in these streets and we're surrounded by chaos and just confusion and, and in a world where anything terrible could happen at any moment out of just a clear blue sky. September 11th is very similar. Without the backstory, without decades of backstory about American foreign policy decisions and what happened in Afghanistan and the Soviet invasion, without all of that backstory, something like September 11th feels like it just came out of nowhere. And then all of a sudden you have the, the, the mass murder of thousands of innocent people. And that's horrifying. That's too difficult to deal with. A conspiracy theory, even one that says, hey, the government's secretly doing this because they're run by this evil cabal. As counterintuitive as it is, that actually becomes kind of soothing to us because it's, oh, okay, somebody's in control. They're evil, but I can understand it. I can understand the world again, rather than just standing there and thinking, how is this horror possible? And there's some shady stuff like members of the Bin Laden family like left the day after. But probably the Saudis, who are friends of the Americans, at least on the basis of oil, uh, you know, the, the, in their extended network of people who are more religious than them and religious zealots, but they're sort of friends. There was Osama Bin Laden. Uh, they didn't support his terrorist stuff, but maybe they saw eye to eye on Wahhabi Islam. Is that the? Yeah, that's the one. I mean, you're you're right. It's there's totally sketchy stuff that goes on. The CIA going to the uh, the president saying, "Hey, we think Bin Laden is going to attack in the United States," and doing that months before the actual attack. Like, there's all sorts of sketchy stuff, but it's a messy. It's a messy sketchiness. It's not a tidy sketchiness. It is like, you know, and I think Bush is friends with the Saudi royalty and, and they're legitimate friends. But, you know, sometimes your friends, their friends are your enemy. And so like there's Bin Laden sitting in this awkward looking bad for them. And so they're like, OK, get his family out of the U.S. They kind of knew that it was probably him early on. You know, I just I think it was a little shady, but it's complicated and the American government and the Bush family's relationship with the Saudi royalty is like complicated and their relationship with their extended, you know, friends and family, if you will. It's all, you know, and so that's like my idiot take on it. But I think there's stuff we won't know. But do I think the government planned 9-11? No, I don't. I think years and years of interference in Middle Eastern politics and war drove the uh, Taliban to do something like that. Yeah, I mean, it's an explanation. It's obviously not an excuse. And this is the other thing that we always have to bear in mind is that we can, when we're understanding something like this, looking back into history, we can find explanations, but that's a very different thing than excuse. And having said everything that I just said, which was probably half-baked and pretty stupid, I don't know, you know, like, and I'm okay with that. Yeah. So where does Bill Cooper end up at the end of all this? Gunned down, gunned down by the police. <laughs> Which, if anything, just makes people believe him more. Yeah. If he was still alive now and having hot takes Alex Jones style and coming out with, you know, wild theories that prove to be completely untrue, then at that point, Bill Cooper just becomes another one of these guys who says a bunch of nonsense. 
But because he gets shot by the police, not for conspiracy reasons and not by the feds, by his local police, but because that happens, then he becomes a martyr. What are the circumstances around him being gunned down by the local cops? I mean, the circumstances were that he was becoming kind of a local character in his area and he was becoming increasingly paranoid and he was starting to threaten people that were coming by his property. And so the cops, you know, they, they, he, he gets, shows up on the radar. They are concerned about some of the things that he's saying uh, on his radio show and in his pamphlets and things like that. And things just sort of get a little bit out of hand and he gets shot. I mean, that's the official version. So they pay him a visit to say, hey, don't threaten people coming near you or something. It starts to go poorly. He shoots a police officer in the exchange and then is shot several times. I don't know much about how the internals of policing works, but I do know when you shoot at a police officer, they're pretty unhappy. Yes, that's true. I've, I've heard that somewhere. And so, I mean, it, but it fits in with the narrative of Bill Cooper so well for him to spend all that time talking about how, you know, they are after you. And in the end, they got him. They did. They always do. They'll get you in the end. Oh, they'll get you. I mean, the U.S., it's scary. Like if the U.S. government wants you, although maybe not the case with Trump. I mean, I don't know if they'll ever get him. But if they want you and you're a regular everyday Joe, they can get you. Look at Fred Hampton. I mean, that guy got got. People get get all the time. I think that the key points, the key takeaways, things are complicated, things are messy, things are unsatisfying, and we are better off if we acknowledge our own limitations and say, you know what, maybe I don't know this. It makes it less likely that we'll get sucked in to some weaponized bit of disinformation. Complicated, messy, and chaotic. That is how my ex-wife described having sex with me. Nathan, thank you for coming on the show. Uh, your show's called The Uncover-Up Conspiracy Cast. I like that, Conspiracy Cast. Yeah, The Uncover-Up, and you can find it for free wherever you find podcasts for free. Like this one? Exactly like this one. And thanks for having me on. Yeah, it was nice chatting with you. It's been a while. Yeah, it was good to see you again. I'm glad to, you, you look like you're doing well. I'm not. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> but you look like you're doing well. That's the important thing. Well, I got the haircut recently, so that'll do it, yeah. It's all it takes. It's a good way to fool people. It's all it takes. Uh, all right, my friend, take care and thanks for coming on. All right. Bye.